Welcome to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Will Duffin, GP and Education Lead. Given that we're not able to deliver face-to-face expedition medicine courses that normally take place around the world, we are instead bringing some of the world's most outrageous and maverick minds directly to your earbuds. So please sit back and enjoy. Today's guest is a self-declared mischief maker, Anna McNuff. Anna's a global keynote speaker, author, and adventurer, and she's all about epic human-powered journeys. She cycled 11,000 miles across all 50 US states. She cycled the length of the Andes, ran the length of New Zealand, and she shares these journeys with others along the way, speaking at schools and to other groups as she goes. She's also the UK's Girl Guiding Ambassador. She's on a mission to inspire and empower the next generation of bold women. And her latest adventure just last year was to run the distance of 90 marathons from Shetland to London in just her bare feet. That happened. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm listening, thinking, who is this loon? Who is that natter? It's me. (laughs) That's you. It's me. That did happen. (laughs) Do you, ever, do you ever have a moment where you check yourself and you think, how on earth did I, how have I done all of that? I do. I definitely have moments in the middle of an adventure when I'm exhausted and I think, why can't I just be a normal person? Why can't I just do normal things? But then that kind of passes after a few hours and I'm like, nah, this is great. Let's carry on. Yeah, yeah. So wh- where are you um, calling from today? Oh, I'm in lovely Gloucestershire, which is my adopted home. Um, I'm actually, I'm from the outskirts of London originally, but um, my other half... He, um, he's a crazy adventurer too, does mad things like run across countries dressed as superheroes. And uh, and he's from Gloucester. So I've lived out here five years now and um, I love it. And very good for social distancing because there's there's not many people out and about. So I've got free reign on my runs and my cycles. Oh, lovely. Beautiful part of the world, Gloucestershire. I'm just in Bristol, so not too far it away. Is. But due to, oh, due to the lockdown, you? Oh. Um, unfortunately, uh, we're not ever able to uh, see anyone physically, are no. we? So. But I'm waving at you down the A38. Because <laughs> you could have you 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 started your career as a much more conventional athlete. Your your parents were both Olympians, weren't they? And uh, you could easily have gone down yeah. gone down that route. You represented GB for for rowing. Yeah, I did. It's really strange. I mean, I think when you're a kid, you just you just take whatever environment you grow up in as normal. And I grew up in an environment where both my parents went to Moscow 1980 Olympics. They're rowers. So, you know, I got a pretty good deal in the gene pool, although all I actually got was freakishly long arms. That was that was the deal that I got. And um, yeah, great for swimming. But I became a rower. Um, But I um, so I just from a really young age, I just thought that is the way the world works. You pick a sport, you work hard, you go to the Olympics. End of. And so I actually hated rowing for a very long time and I played football and did all sorts of other things. But by the time I was 23, I was in the Great Britain squad. But the uh, Beijing Olympics came round in 2008 and I had put heart and soul into, try- into making the team, trying to make the team. And I didn't get make the selection for the eight that went. And I just was like a sucker punch because, you know, yeah, I was 23 and I thought, how is this? I've worked so hard. This isn't the way the world should work. You know, I, I should I should be getting what I wanted. I've given everything. And then it, I was just faced with the decision of do I cling on for another four years in the hope that this massive Olympic dream is going to make me happier than I've ever imagined? 
or do I actually take a reality check and, and question what I do want to do in life? And at that point, I decided to give up being an elite athlete and try and find a different pathway. So that's where it all began. So in a sense, that was that a time in your life where things were quite difficult, where you felt like that dream was falling apart. But do you feel that that enabled something even cooler to fall together? Yeah, absolutely. It's without a doubt the hardest decision I've ever made because you you don't know anything else and your whole identity is wrapped up in the in in being a rower at that time. You know, every, it wasn't just I was giving up a sport, I was giving up who I was, it felt like. And when people asked me, Oh, who are you know, what do you do? I couldn't say I was a rower anymore. I couldn't or I'm trying for the Olympics, you know, so it stripped away any sort of conversation I had about my life direction. I was just pulled a blank face. Um, but it it was I never have never regretted that decision because what it did was it allowed that space for me to think and to question rather than just staying in these train tracks and, and not questioning where I was going. I actually went, well, just because I once wanted this, do I actually want this anymore? And the answer was, do you know what? I love travel. I loved adventure. I used to read books about places from all over the world. And actually rowing was amazing but I was only ever seeing countries going backwards down a two kilometer lake and so and then you get back on the plane and go home again and so actually it turned out that that probably wasn't my kind of um my kind of career that I wanted to do and so that's how I ended up it took me another five years of doing normal jobs and working in marketing and sitting in offices and lining up powerpoint boxes before I realized that I could do this adventure thing where I brought my love of sport and pushing my body and a bit of pain and I could put that together with seeing the world and what you get off the back of that is long distance running cycle touring you know long distance swimming all these cool things that allow you to be sporty but there's a lot more creative freedom in it so that's how I got to adventuring yeah I can see that it's a real creative outlet for you it is, yeah. And that's another thing. You know, I used to love writing at school, but I then you know, did badly on exams. So you think, well, maybe I'm not supposed to write. But then you go on an adventure and you feel so compelled to share it with the world. And so you start writing and then people enjoy your writing and you think, oh, I don't need an exam paper to tell me I can write a book. Um, so it has. It, the adventures really have become like the inspiration. And then everything else I do is what what really brings me the joy. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, part of this role for me, and one of the great things I love is, is speaking to people like you, Anna, who have who have bucked a convention. They're, I think we all have a script that's that's handed to us in life. Often in our childhood, it's the way that we think things have to go. It's like the career, our, our destiny, uh, and I think sometimes there are it's not the right fit for us, and it takes uh, it just takes a, a a point in our life where we have to ask some searching questions, do some in a work and think actually what what do, what really makes my heart sing um what could i be doing how could i be leveraging my my talents my abilities uh my passions in a way that really enables me to flourish and uh, and it's great to chat to people like you Hannah who've actually realized that yeah i think i think for a while i thought because of course when i gave up rowing i thought well, what am i supposed to be doing with my life and i was waiting for this answer and i I almost because we've been brought up in very sort of vocational boxes, I almost expected to turn over a sort of a page in the newspaper at the weekend and see the job, see the thing I was supposed to be doing with my life. And then I think after a few years, I realized that wasn't going to happen. And I actually had to just get almost like a jigsaw. I had to put one bit in place and go, oh, I really like adventures. OK, let's put that in there. Oh, I really like writing as well. Let's put that in there. 
I like giving talks about my adventures. Oh, I like, you know, trying to help young kids get into adventure. And so I kind of built it piece by piece. And I think once you get your head around that, it, it feels less scary because it is a scary thing to be heading into this black mess of unknown where you don't know what it looks like, especially when you're coming from stability and security. But I think the more you realise that that feeling of unknown is a, is a good thing and that it does mean you're heading in the right direction. And even if there's this little fire in your belly and you're getting excited, then that means you're going the right way. Don't question anything else. Just keep going. It'll all work out. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Yes, yes, it yes. is. I love it. I always say if you're not 50% terrified, 50% excited, then it's not a real, it's not real life. <laughs> you're not living. <laughs> you're not living. There's no point living if you can't feel alive. <laughs> exactly. That is it. I'm with you on that one. So um, a, a great quote, which I, I've lifted from your website, Anna, which I'd like you to expand on for me, please, is clearly a, a key part of your work. It's not just about investing in your own your own agenda, your own desire to adventure, but you want to spread that message to others. You want to encourage others, as you say, to grab life by the balls. Discuss. <laughs> I forgot that was even on my website. Um, yeah, I think that is just about this. There, it can, as I said, you know, that anxiety, that unknowing, it can be debilitating. And, and I've had it myself where I feel like a rabbit in headlights and I feel like the world is just happening to me. And I think what I'm trying to, get across all the all the best things in my life have happened when I've made action on the world when I've gone do you know what I've got no idea where this is going or whether it's going to work out I mean my first adventure I left my wonderful graduate corporate office job where I was being nicely paid I had a steady career path something didn't feel right and I went and bought a giant pink bicycle and rode through every state of America and um and I didn't, I didn't know where, where it was going to lead, but I just had, it was, I always think of it like a little compass in your heart, you know, and it just ticked into North. And I thought, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what it's going to bring me yet, but I feel, I feel like the best version of myself. Um, I feel like I am able to give the most of myself to the world. And therefore, surely if I'm able to do that, then I'm probably going to get the most in return as well. And that's, that's the way life should be. So, um, yeah, I think it, I have learned it. You've got, you've got to take action. Even if it turns out not to be the right action, it will lead you eventually to where you want to be. So, yeah, that's, that, that's what that quote's about. <laughs> you really um, capture the art of possibility for me. There's, there's a book on this by, uh, written by a chap called uh, Benjamin Zander. And he, he talks about uh, the, the measurement, the, the kind of conventional wisdom is the measurement world where we, we set a goal and then we strive for it. But we, you know, that, that's that predefined goal. Whereas if you, if you embrace the art of possibility, you just create the conditions, you set the context, and then you allow life to unfurl and amazing things happen. You don't quite know what they're going to be, but you're just ready and willing. I think your cycling across the, the, the US is a perfect example of that, where you didn't quite know where you were going with it, but you were just creating the right context. And from that, that's, that's birthed other adventures and and ultimately a, a career in, in something you can be really passionate about so I think that's really powerful yeah and sometimes I think as well if I have got an adventure project in mind or I've got a blank sheet of paper in front of me I think of um I think it's I mean I hate, I hate to mention them but I think it's Amazon that do this that the, they write the press release before they start the project so what is your end goal in a dream world what would this look like and so I always think well could you write the press release for your life or could you write your you know your intro that someone was going to read out when you do an interview about you 
Um, you know, if you if you wrote that and then you work backwards from that, then that just uh, that gives you so much clarity. You think, right, that is that is what I want. And let's let's see if we can take the first steps to get there. And all the stuff in between is a big mess, but you'll get there, hopefully. Or it will look different, but you've started. Ah, I see. So you're by doing that press release, you're kind of visualizing where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said about the art of possibility, it then becomes a possibility because it doesn't if you heard that about someone else, say whatever your dream bio is, it wouldn't be so ridiculous. You would just listen and nod your head and go, oh, that's pretty cool. But the possibility that that could be you, um, it just it, so it, it stops you seeing these people as other, I think. And I think there's a lot of that. You know, I certainly I see people that are um, I'm incredibly academic and I think, God, they are these otherworldly creatures. And and the fact is, I don't actually, you know, that's not my path. I don't want to do that thing. But um, I mean, obviously, I'm never going to run 100 metres as fast as Usain Bolt. But, <laughs> you know, he is definitely other. But I think there's a lot of seeing other people as different and and like they've got some magic tool when the reality, even celebrities are a great example of this. A lot of celebrities, the more time goes on, the more I realise the good ones are incredibly talented at what they do. And they're there through a combination of talent and hard work. They're not there just because they got lucky. You know, um, obviously that plays a part, but, um, and then suddenly they don't become so otherworldly. They're just humans. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I think it's a really good quote from Steve Jobs about this. The, the, he talks about the the moment he realised that everyone else was just just like him. They're just having a go. They're actually winging it as well. And as soon as you realise that, that everyone else is is pretty much in the same boat and you just put that imposter syndrome to one side and you just kind of go out and grab life by the, by the balls, um, it, it's incredibly effective. Yeah, no, I agree. That's it. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Least of all doctors. Lynn, you really need to know what you're doing and hope you know what you're doing. But, you know, especially in extreme environments, there must be such an element of just, yeah, you know, rolling your sleeves up and making do with what you've got and having that confidence. So, yeah, more power to you. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I think a big part of of our role is actually acknowledging when we really don't know. And we have a very imperfect understanding of the human body. Uh, a lot of the way people work and function it is not, there's not really a scientific explanation for that. And I think that the more we can put our God, God complex to one side and just sometimes say, hey, look, fess up. I, I really don't know. I can't fix you. Um, I think that that can be really powerful uh, in itself. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like the human body is like life. I think, you know, there's no formula, is there? It's chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's just another massive complex thing that we haven't yeah, figured out Yeah, there yet. you go. Wow. How wonderful is that? <laughs> And a big part of what you, um, some of the, one of the themes that you explore with your, with your girl guides and your school groups and your you know, other uh, talks that you do is about this sense of um, vulnerability, about not being uh, quite sure of yourself, um, that, that inner critic that, that everyone has. Can you, can you speak on that for a moment? Yeah, I think that is, um, and that again comes from the perception that everyone knows what they're doing. And I think we, especially with social media and especially with youngsters, quite often all they see is that the tip of the iceberg of success. They see, this is what I wanted to do. Woohoo, I've done it. And they don't actually see all the mess and the struggle and the mishaps and the failures that go on beneath that. So when I started doing adventures and then when I got involved in the girl guiding side of things, I, I thought 
all I, my main aim with these youngsters is to show them that if you do go for something that is way out there, you know, that you really are testing yourself and pushing yourself, that there will be mishaps and there will be disasters and there will be things you don't know the answer to. But all, you've just got to find a way to keep going and not question on, you know, whether, not question yourself, you've got to trust yourself. And the amazing thing about that is the only person you rely on to do that and, and to find the will to keep going is yourself. So when I talk to these youngsters, I, you know, I tell them about my crazy adventures and whatever else, but then I try and get them to talk about what they want to do and, and try and get them to understand that no one, no one knows them and their ability and when they feel terrified and when they feel excited other than them, like no one can tell them that. And you know, even their parents, you know, you can be guided by other people, but ultimately at the end of the day, you've got to rely on yourself and you've got to learn to trust yourself. And, and that sense of empowerment, I think is, it's just, a, it's just a really powerful thing to give to a youngster because then this little light bulb goes on in their head and you think what, and you see them think, what do you mean it's up to me? What, what do you mean I could, if I want to do that or I don't want to, you know, that's, that's completely my choice. And I'm like, yeah that's your choice. You know, I can stand here and tell you stories. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, it's a, it's a really important thing and something I really love talking to youngsters about. And <clears throat> especially on the recent, um, barefoot Britain run, the, the mad barefoot run through great Britain, there was a point where I was, so I'd said I was going to try and run 2,600 miles and I was a thousand miles in and I got a foot infection which was all kinds of, you know, embarrassing because all of the naysayers at the start would say, what happens when you cut your foot on glass and all of this? And I got this foot infection. My foot blew up like a balloon. I was on antibiotics and I had all these talks booked into youngsters where I was going to stand in front of them and say, girls, you've got to go for your dreams. And I'm stood there with my foot in a bandage in agony, not knowing if I'm going to be able to carry on with this run and I thought, you know, what? I'm, I'm going to keep doing these talks anyway, because this is it, girls. This is the reality. Here I am. I've told the whole world. I've been all over the news telling them I'm going to run the distance, you know, of 2,600 miles. And I'm a thousand miles in. My run could be over. My foot's in a bandage. And I don't know what the solution is yet. I don't know if this is the end of my run. And I and that that was more me. I was terrified to do that. But their reaction was amazing. They didn't care. They just... You know, they said, oh, of course, you know, I think there was a wall of silence at one of the guiding groups. And I thought, oh, I'm probably going to have some really difficult questions about, you know, how are you going to cope with not finishing your run? And this little brownie guy just put her hand up and she said, Anna, um, when, you, when you make it to London, are you going to run back to the Shetland Islands? <laughs> I just said, I think, no, I think I'll probably stop. But the fact that she just gone, well, of course, you're going to carry on. Of course, there'll be a way to finish. Don't worry about it. Um, so I just think that's amazing. So yeah, what I've been trying to do is, is just share the full reality of it, share all the highs, all the lows. I did a, I did a series on YouTube as I went along because I wanted the girls to see that when you take on something big, that is, that is out there and unknown that there are ups and downs and there are times when you don't know the answer, but it's just about finding a little glimmer of hope and seeing if you can keep going. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Do you think that, um, spending all this time with all these children, do you think you've taken, um something from them do you think you've brought the spirit of children childhood into your your own approach to adventure because one thing i've observed is you are very very playful um and um you have fun with what you're doing 
uh, a lot of the kind of adventure world is quite uh, austere. It's quite serious. It's very kind of performance focused. And uh, you seem, you know, you, you're, you're coming coming at it from a completely different angle. I mean, just just to illustrate this point, perhaps you could show us your magic oh, adventure, adventure pants. These these creatures. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm going to give you a visual. Wow. I'm going to give you the description here, the alternative description. That is a pair of leggings with a unicorn having a fight with a robot dog T-Rex under a rainbow and a star-spangled sky. I mean, who doesn't want these leggings in their life? These are called my pants of perspective. And um, they got so named that because when I did, um, I did this run through New Zealand, it was about 2,000 miles along the Tiaroa Trail. Did it with all my stuff on my back. Um, which was not the most sensible idea, but it worked. And there was a point where I was three days into the New Zealand bush and it was four days to a town the other side and I badly sprained my ankle. And um, basically it was just, it blew up like a balloon and I thought, oh my goodness me, you know, I felt like I was at rock bottom. And I, 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 you know, I had my um, spot tracker, so I could have pressed for an SOS helicopter, but I thought I don't want to do that because obviously that is a precious resource. And, and I was trying to find that line of, do I push on? Do I go back on myself? Where's the line between stupid and brave? And, um, and, and anyway, and I had these in my bag. And so the night I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and I just thought, oh, I remember I've got those, like I call them my magic pants of perspective. And I pulled them on and looked at my ballooning mess of an ankle, strapped my ankle up and I thought, I just snapped me back to reality. I thought I've got food, I've got shelter, I've got ankle strapping, I've got rivers to ice my ankle in. If I, you know, I know there's a few wilderness huts ahead. If I can just make a bit of steady progress and see if I can, um, I've got enough food. Um, so yeah, my pants are perspective. So <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they snap, then the kids love them, kids love them. <laughs> They, they enabled this incredible psychological self-rescue that, yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah, that's it. And that's what I say to the kids, you know, there's, these are my pants of perspective, but whatever your thing is, like have that mental tool that just snaps you back to reality and makes you, reminds you that, you know, you do have, you do still have choices and, and it kind of just calms you down. It makes you trust yourself. Um, but yeah, I definitely take inspiration from the kids. I mean, when I'm a bit in a selfish way, when I'm doing a long adventure, they become these these talks to the kids they become a reason to keep going sometimes because a I think I've promised to be there and I don't want to let them down and b when I get there you know they say that you 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 preach what you need to learn and the more the words come out your mouth and what you what you would tell your younger self the more that kind of reflects back on you and kids just have such a natural sense of awe and wonder about the world and to have that reflected back at you and to see that especially up until the age of about nine, they don't see any limits. They don't, you know, their kind of frame of reference. I mean, they just tell me things like, oh, I'm going to rollerblade to Greece and meet the polar bears. And I'm going, don't think there are polar bears in Greece. <laughs> Might be a bit hilly getting there, but yet yeah, you, you do it. You just do that. <laughs> but I think we've got to start with that craziness and then you can whittle it down. But we never start with the craziness. We always start with the things that we can't do and the critic and the realist come into our head. Um, which is what I talk a lot about when I when I give talks. You know, it's about those the dream of the realist and the critic, those three voices in your head. Yeah. So okay. So you're you're kind of marrying them up, but you it's you always start with the the dreamer, and then you you've you got to start with the there. dreamer. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and acknowledge it's the dreamer. Acknowledge that the, the thoughts of the dreamer are ridiculous and you're probably not going to do exactly what the dreamer says, but you've got to allow them that voice. And I think we, we don't do that as adults enough. And Anna, you're also a huge advocate for women in adventure in general. And you've set up a women's adventure community called the Adventure Queens with Emma Frampton. Yes. And I've just been on the, the website and looking look at your merchandise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thinking about making a, a purchase of a T-shirt. And you've just got, I love these. The, the T-shirts have got stuff on them like, let's take this outside and all guts, no nuts. <laughs> love it. Yeah, yeah. So well, we tried. That one's really, all guts, no nuts is really popular, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, that came from... Um, and that's an Adventure Queens is an amazing community. It's a, an online, predominantly online community, Facebook, Instagram. And it came from, I'd done all these big adventures, but when I would give talks, women specifically would come up to me at the end of the talks and they would say, oh, I'd love to do what you do, but X, Y, Z, and I, I can't do this, or I'm even scared just to go and camp out in my local forest or do a wild camping session. And I just thought there seemed, it feels like there's this barrier um, and they're seeing this this barrier and they were saying, I don't know who to go with. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid because I don't know what I'm doing. And I was trying to say to them, I don't know what I'm doing either. You know, the f <clears throat> so <clears throat> when I went on my American ride, which is my first big adventure, I'd never wild camped before. And my friend Naomi, who was in the army, and she said, oh, Anna, I'll take you out to Dartmoor. We'll, we'll go at night and we'll hike. You know, we'll be 300 meters apart and we'll camp apart and you'll get used to it. And I was too scared. I said, no, <laughs> I said, I can't do it. I said, I can't do it, Naomi. And, um, and so I decided to do my first wild camp on a, on a road in America uh, where there were bears because I thought in Alaska, because I thought, well, there's no, there's no choice then. I've just got to sleep or not sleep. Um, but I wanted the girls, the, the women in Adventure Queens to have that opportunity. So I basically, I think it, was, it started with, I, I put out a tweet and said, I'm, I'm thinking of offering some tips on wild camping for first timers. Anyone interested? And I just got this flood of replies. I think we had like 600 people on the email list in a few days. And it just grew from there. So it started with wild camping tips and advice. But now it's just a place where girls can, can meet up, um, mums as well, and talk about adventure, find people to go on adventures with. And there's a main Facebook group, but there's also 40 local groups around the country with specific leaders and we've got all these amazing volunteers. And yeah, it's just about trying to remove that barrier of, I really want to do X, Y, Z, but I can't because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anyone to go with. And that is celebrated. It's a really positive forum. We make sure there's no negativity in there. And um, yeah, hopefully gets more people outside. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a really great initiative. Um, let's talk a little bit about your latest adventure. So you decided to run the length of the UK from, um, Shetlands down to London without any shoes on why did how did that come about it's very it's a very good question um because it sounds I fully put my hands up that it sounds insane and I it purely came from I thought right I want it time to do a new adventure I want to do another run I want to do it through Britain because I'd become the ambassador for girl guiding and I wanted to talk to young girls all the way along and I thought okay, I'll just do this run. And then there was something basically in the pit of my stomach. I thought oh, I could do a, you know, a 2000 mile run. I thought, and this isn't in an arrogant way, but I just thought, I know I can do that. You know, I've, I've done it before. And so, you know, challenge is all relative. So for me, it didn't, it didn't make me feel that 50% terrified, 50% excited. 
So I just, I'd read Born to Run, I'd got interested in minimalist running, and I just had this crazy little voice in my head that said, why don't you do it with no shoes on? And which was the dreamer voice, right? And then first of all, straight away, next voice comes in, you can't do that, it's ridiculous. Straight away, cuts it off. But then it just wouldn't leave me alone. I thought, is it ridiculous? You know, I wonder, dot, dot, dot. And I find that's where all the, the, the best adventure ideas start from. And I thought, I spent about a year and a half trying to work out whether I thought it was possible, full stop, whether it was possible for me, whether it was possible generally. And then I convinced myself that it was possible, whether I could do it was still going to be an unknown, but that it was something that was possible. And so I'd go to the start and I would give it a crack and I would be completely honest that I'd prepared as best I could, but it was still going to be like, here we go. I've got no idea what's going to happen. Um, are my, you know, are my feet going to fall off? Am I going to get injuries? Th- th- those are the key ingredients for any good adventure. I think if you knew you, you were going to succeed or th- there was, everything was was controlled and known, then it's not an adventure by definition, surely. That's it. You don't. And that's for, that's what adventures are about. They're about growth. And that goes for life as well. You know, if you if you if you stand there on the start line or at the beginning of a project and you you think, you you know, even if it's a tiny little voice that just goes, yeah, I've got this, then you're not going to learn as much as you should. You're not doing yourself justice. So I think there has to be a little voice in your head that's going, what are you doing? Um, and that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I've um, I've also dabbled in barefoot running. Have not you? Not quite to the extent that you have. Um, but yeah, a few years ago, I picked up a pair of these puppies. Oh, little monkey shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're the Vibrams, um, yeah got some miles on them uh to, to be honest i mean i wear them all the time that just socially yeah um, that's the best you know, way people who are fashion conscious are genuinely uh, offended uh when i wear these they just think they're the most offensive why do people have like, such a problem feet. with them it makes me laugh people get really yeah, like... I know. yeah exactly yeah anyway i don't care um but you know what? i really enjoyed running in these it's it's um and the thing i love most is is how kind of how silent you are when you're up, when you're climbing, when you're going on hills, yeah, and you're kind of finding your way through. You're on your toes. You're not heel striking. You're kind of on your toes, and you're nobody can hear you. And I just kind of creep up and sneak up on people. I, I love that. You're like a ninja. I know, and it terrifies yeah. people as well. If you're on like a canal towpath and they don't hear you coming, and they, Whoa! Um, yeah, you're like a barefoot ninja. <laughs> no, it's great. You're like a shadow moving yeah. over land. You're like Liam Neeson, only better. <laughs> and, and, unless you've done maybe five to six miles on just concrete or tarmac and yep. then you're i've found i'm less ninja like i'm i'm st- that the hobble starts to happen uh yeah i think it is a shock <laughs> and that was and the first i think the first six months of me because i was in minimalist shoes like those anyway um yeah. and uh i think the first six months of me properly starting training and upping my mileage my calves were agony and my achilles was oh, agony yeah. and um but then eventually it got used to it but yeah i mean yeah your calf muscles take take a battering and that's why unfortunately it's a really slow steady progress to get down to those minimalist shoes and I think that's why a lot of people just sack it off because you know they've only got a certain amount of time to run in a day and they don't want to spend time building back up again and dropping their mileage down so um but wearing them in everyday life is a great way to go I mean my the the muscular change in my legs when I started wearing um shoes just in everyday life minimalist shoes was was massive yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what's interesting about barefoot running is there's a, it's, it's, as with all these things, it's not just a case of you just put some different shoes on, and you go running, but there's a whole ideology, there's a whole church that's been built around it. And you mentioned Born to Run, there's a, there's a character in that called Barefoot Ted. Yeah. 
and then you know he's part of this whole movement where it it, it it becomes a lot more spiritual it's about your kind of connection with the earth and all this kind of do, do you buy into all of that did you feel more connected to the to the landscapes that you're passing through as a result of this are you a bona fide barefoot uh, um, uh, kind evangelist. Of <laughs> evangelist. Um, do you yes. know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to break the hearts of all the barefoot evangelists out there. I am not. Um, and this is what became really interesting through the run because I would get these so many emails from the barefoot running community, which is an amazing, like, it's like an underground community. People saying, what you're doing for the movement is fantastic. You know, I've, I know you'll never go back to shoes after this. Um, but it was so hard. The run was so hard. It pushed me to like the edge of my limits. And so, um, and for, and so when I finished, I, I'm, I'm back in shoes. I'm in minimalist shoes, but still. Um, so I guess I'm not someone. I think a lot, a lot of that movement, you know, um, there's a lot of you should run without shoes on and or minimalist shoes, and that is the way you should run. Whereas I'm more. I just think if you can run and you can be pain free run in whatever you feel comfortable in. I think sometimes the minimalist end of the spectrum gets forgotten. You know, we, we experience pain when we're running and we go for more support. We don't actually ever go, well, actually, maybe I should have less support and use and trust my body. So I'm definitely a fan of it, it. Your body is such an incredible machine. And I think in the run, I learned that because although I had a foot infection in what ended up being 2,300 miles of running with no shoes on, I had one day off for a sore calf and that was it. And that is just a testament to the style of running, I think, and and how the muscles in my body were able to cope with the amount of loathing that was going through them. So I'm not a barefoot evangelist. I don't think everyone should be wearing minimalist shoes, but I think it's if you're interested in it, definitely try it. And I think more people should give it a, give it a go because you feel like a kid. You just feel like a kid that's running down to the sweet shop and there was there was one day where I was in the Yorkshire Dales and I remember the sun was going down I'm running down a valley I think it was into Kettlewell and the the beautiful golden hour and I'm running down bare feet down the road like grass and trees around me and I just I felt strong my feet were really strong like panther paws on the road and I I did feel really connected at that point I thought this is a great way to experience your country I, I really like the kind of the stripped back, the kind of minimalism of of that as a as a concept as well, because I think certainly in the, in the adventure space in general, there's so much gear, and there's also especially uh, this is a very much a British thing, obsessing over and chatting about gear. I mean, is that something you found in in your experience of of adventure? And oh, guess, was it yeah. quite liberating to to actually have less on your feet? Uh, rather than more yeah this is why this is why i love running full stop because you you all you need is a pair of trainers or not in my case but um uh yeah that is i do like that i do find it liberating and i mean i always find before an adventure it's the last two months where you start obsessing about your kit and and you start questioning whether you've got the right sleeping bag and this that and the other and and reading about really like minutiae details of the the kit you're taking and and it doesn't I mean, matter. All the reviews. Oh god, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just think that's what I've learned. Yeah. And I mean, I will be honest with cycling, for example. I once we were in South America. Me and my friends were cycling the Andes, and we met these two other guys. And I think they were from Sheffield or something. And they started asking us about questioning about our dyno hubs and gear ratios. And I just like it's got wheels and it goes. You know, I just <laughs> I'll bodge it if it breaks. Um. So. 
I, although I try and do a bit of kit research, I generally realise that it's just a massive black hole and that you could spend so much of your time there. And as long as it keeps you warm or it moves forward or it works, then that'll do really. Yeah, I mean, I found, I found the same out. I, I think that the kit side of things can be a huge distraction to from the experience. And I found big trips that I've done, I've spent I've spent thousands of pounds in outdoor shops, getting way more than I need. Yeah. Uh, and then when, when I'm on my way to the airport, rather than being energized and excited about the the experience I'm about to have, I'm I'm just I'm ruminating over, oh, did I remember to pack this? Have I got that? You know, and everything's all kind of packed away in little kind of uh, in dry bags and it's all carefully kind of organized. And that that's where my head is. And it's not really looking forward to what I'm going to be doing. I, yeah. I, I think it's it, it, maybe it's a function of just the, the, the world that we live in. It's you know, the, the kind of a commercial machine that that's found its way into a, adventure but I, I i i really like the way you've been able to kind of put that in its place you, you kind of this is almost a wholesale rejection of that yeah it doesn't matter and i get so inspired when i meet especially on a trail and i meet you know this amazing guy i met when i was in new zealand 65 year old from from canada and his name's coach ron i called him coach ron because he was always looking after other people and he just hiked with all of like old gear, bits of twine tied together. He had this Tupperware box on his front. And whenever you asked him, it like tied on like round his neck with a Tupperware box. And whether you asked him, coach, what's what's in the uh, what's in the box? He'd just say stuff. <laughs> you just you just would like gaffer taped it together, you know, and um, I, he was just I just love people like that. I just think it they it doesn't matter to them. And you learn to love whatever you go with anyway. So um yeah i think it's brilliant yeah, i love that stuff stuff <laughs> um yeah do you know what, what thing that really brings that home for me is when, when we do medical cover for kind of com commercial tracks and things you've got the uk um uh, clients are all in gucci they've got all the gear they've got all the you know uh, gore-tex and everything and uh, and, the, and the local guides are just in they're just in a, a flip-flops uh yeah. and is you know, yeah. beating up old anorak and uh you know and 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 it's um it just reminds you you just don't need all of this stuff to to have that experience it's nice but it's not essential and it's uh it, it's a huge potential distraction it's absolutely not and then i think it does it also if you spent loads a lot of money it sometimes affects your decision making ability because when you get 10 days into a trip i always find that you want to send a load of rubbish home that you're not using but if you spent more money on something you're thinking well i've I, it's like sunk cost bias isn't it you're thinking well i can't let that go because i've spent xyz on it when the reality is it's, it's you don't need it <laughs> and you realize that very quickly you're like oh i don't i don't need these three different shaped pans or whatever you've got with you so um and it's especially because a lot of your human power journeys have been self-supported yes and uh, you've been on foot uh you must you have to be very careful about how much you take because every gram that you carry around in your back is, is that's just more load you're putting through your your legs so how have you been able to really uh strip back your gear to what's essential for for your journey yeah, I think it's about the first thing is asking the question of what kind of journey you're on. So I've got some friends who do a lot of fast packing and they're going for um, or they might be supported. Um, but some of them are, some of them aren't. But they're going for like very fast time. They're trying to move quickly, be light. The the way I like to adventure is I like to be done by six, by, by sort of four o'clock in the evening, cooking up my dinner on a stove in the middle of nowhere um, and 
and reading on my Kindle. So I got my Kindle with me and, and being disconnected from the world in wilderness. And, you, you know, you go to sleep at like seven o'clock and then you wake up at eight o'clock the next morning. That's my kind of adventure is about using, you know, and you meet people and you stop and you stop and you chat to them and you stop in towns. So I tend to go a little bit heavier than some people would if they were hardcore trying to go for speed. So I think that's the first decision about what you take with you. Um, and and then it's just, I, I always do the 10 day rule. Yeah, whatever, if you go for the first 10 days, whatever you haven't used in the first 10 days, stick it in a post back home because it's only giving you extra weight. And then if you're going through a lot of different seasons in America, for example, I actually had, I left parcels at home in my bedroom back home and um, they were posted out to me so when the weather changed you know when I made it to Chicago and winter hits then I'd have a load of a different sleeping bag posted to me and stuff like that so I think that's a good option um and in New Zealand you had to plan ahead and use food boxes which so you'd have to post food boxes ahead to these slightly remote little towns but what was annoying about that is you'd eaten something for 10 days and then you'd get to the food box, get really excited, rip it open and realize it was the same crap that you've been eating for the last, you know, 10 days. And, oh, I got so over peanut butter. I was just like, yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, it is, it is interesting. But I kind of take a halfway house approach to try and be as prepared as I, ca- as I need to be to be safe and comfortable for me. I like to be comfortable. I like to have a tent to sleep in and. Um, some decent food. I always carry chocolate because that's really important for morale. Um, yeah, so I think it's a real preference thing. But sometimes you do make silly decisions. Like you might not, I always underestimate how much food I need. And, you know, I'll always have... Particularly chocolate by the time. Particularly chocolate, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes I think, ah, I'm sure I'll be, you know, I've got the chocolate in, but I'm sure I can, I can survive on half a pack of noodles a night or something. And then actually you eat that half pack of noodles and you think, why didn't I just carry a bit more? You know, now I'm a bit miserable. So, um, yeah, you've got to kind of try and put yourself in the mindset of rather than being a comfortable mindset when you're packing. It's like the mindset of, OK, I've been running all day, every day. What do I want? Yeah, I did an adventure race last year uh, and um, uh, we, were, yeah, we were obsessively trying to get every gram out of our bags and cut everything out. What can we get rid of? And we ended up taking, we want to take some whiskey. Yeah, important. And we took it in urine sampled pots because that was the the smallest volume. And yeah. it, was, it was a pathetic amount of whiskey. And I wish I'd just taken the hit and and just taken the whole bottle. Yeah. Honestly, just certain little things, little luxuries are, are just totally worth it, aren't they? That's it. That's it. And you're going to be tired. So you might as well carry a bit more anyway. So, yeah. And that that's why I like cycle. I mean, I love running, but cycle touring is great for that because, you can just stick a little bit of extra in there and it doesn't, it's not going to sap your energy as much as if you're running. Um, so uh, it, it's been really, really great chatting to you, Anna. And um, But before we go, I just, um, a lot of our audience are medics working on the front line and they are currently practicing extreme medicine on their doorstep. And I wondered if you had any words of uh, that you'd like to share with them. I would just say, I know there's a lot of, you know, accolades given to people that go out and do these crazy extreme things. But as you've just said, the extreme world has come to our doorstep at this time. And we, you know, they are doing an amazing job and we need them more than I think they realise. And so we need their strength and we need their resilience. And I would just say, if they're feeling like there are times when they don't know what they're doing or they're so exhausted, they can't even say their own name the second they find that will to keep going, then they are just doing the whole country a massive service and we're so grateful to them. 
Thank you. How can people find you online? Um, I am Anna McNuff, which is uh, Anna and then M-C-N-U-F-F. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, AnnaMcNuff.com. I'm the only Anna McNuff in the world. Should be pretty easy to find. Um, and I've got bright pink hair, so you can't miss me. <laughs> well, it's been great chatting. Thanks so much for your time today, Anna. Thank you. Bye.